This is CN to go I'm Amber Victoria Singer. Coming up, how universal childcare would affect the economy, the difficult and triumphant history of Black firefighters, and why one man has been hiking Phoenix's third highest peak with a drum on his back every single morning for the past three years. But first, former President Donald Trump's historic indictment is making news worldwide. His arrest and what may come of it is unprecedented to the point where it could affect what law professors teach. Professor Stephanie Lindquist teaches at Arizona State University's Sandra Day O'Connor School of Law. She says that the Trump administration has already affected how parts of the program get taught, from presidential privilege to immigration laws. The big question is whether or not an indicted man who may be imprisoned can serve as president. Lindquist says this is a constitutional question that remains unanswered. We do know that a sitting president cannot be indicted. That is widely accepted legal theory under the Constitution. But we don't know what happens if someone is indicted and then they obtain office. Lindquist says the answer depends partially on when the trial takes place in reference to the upcoming presidential election. An ASU professor led a nationwide study about what impact childcare subsidies could have on families and our society. Cronkite reporter Roxanne De La Rosa has more. You're upside down. I'm right side up. Beth Eckel is a self-employed artist, student, and her three-and-a-half-year-old daughter's sole care provider. Finding affordable childcare is out of reach for Eckel. I felt so alone and hopeless. Like, how? what am I supposed to do? I don't have resources. She is currently renting her home and is affected by the increase in the cost of living across the valley. I'm definitely struggling financially and barely making ends meet. Hold on. Okay, honey. One big cost that concerns Eckel is child care, and she is not alone. Chris Herbst is a professor in childhood economics at Arizona State University. He led a national study that was released last year that showed the positive impact a universal child care plan could have on the economy. The bulk of, of caregiving responsibilities generally falls on women's shoulders. They bear the, the brunt of caregiving responsibilities. Well, if, if you can make child care less, less costly, then that sort of frees up women in particular to enter the labor market. And we know that when women enter the labor market, kids do better, families do better, and communities do better. According to the study's findings, if childcare subsidies are implemented across the country, more than 1.2 million women could enter the workforce, creating a stronger economy. Meanwhile, families like Echol are hoping for change. Recently, her business has slowed down, making her eligible for state childcare assistance. To qualify for assistance, the amount of money that I would make would not pay my rent. So even if I got a job where I could have childcare, I still wouldn't be able to pay my bills. If I got a job that didn't qualify for childcare, then the cost of childcare, I still couldn't pay my rent. So either way, I couldn't pay my rent. Herbst says childcare subsidies could even the playing field for lower income families like Echol, allowing them to afford higher quality childcare and education. I think legislation like this has social justice written all over it. 
it is a, a force for solving or at least mitigating all kinds of inequities. Eccles says the stress of not having childcare assistance and being the provider for her family has taken a toll on her mental health. When you're giving all of your time taking care of someone else, you can't take care of yourself, you can't take other, care of other people. And we're definitely expected as women and mothers to take care of everyone. And it's just kind of like, that's your job. So, and if you can't do it, why aren't you doing it? Like I'm giving all of myself to other people and I, you know, you have to fill your own cup to be able to fill others. Herbst says his hope is that leaders in Congress from both political parties can use his study to help guide their thinking. He says discussions regarding universal childcare will not be going away anytime soon. Roxanne de la Rosa, Cronkite News. Retired and active firefighters gathered on April 1st to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the African American Firefighter Museum in Los Angeles. Cronkite News' Ayana Hamilton reports that the fight still continues to bring diversity to fire stations. Often referred to as the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing was played by a live band to kick off the celebration. Located at the city's historic Fire Station 30, the African American Firefighter Museum was one of the two segregated firehouses in Los Angeles between 1924 and 1955. When the two stations were disintegrated, black firefighters were treated as outcasts, forced to eat alone and were the target of cruel pranks. This still continues today. As recently as 2021, there were complaints of unequal treatment in LA fire departments. Michelle Banks is a founding board member and the museum's first president. She is LAFD's third uniform African-American woman, a paramedic, and the first special assistant to the fire chief. She is an advocate for the preservation of the museum. The mission and purpose of the museum is to collect, conserve, and share the history and legacy of black firefighters through collaboration and education. We use that story of the old Stentorians, the men who integrated the Los Angeles Fire Department, to show how individual and collective action can advance society. The museum aims to promote diversity and stand up against inequality, whether it is race or gender. Former museum president and fire captain Brent Burton says that while great strides have been made, inequality is still present. He wants to continue spreading the legacy and impact black firefighters made in a segregated world. Now, I don't have time to give you 130 years of black firefighter history because we'd be here till tomorrow morning. And I wanted to share a couple of um, notables. Did you know that five Tuskegee Airmen became LA firefighters? Did you know that? How about that? Did you know that one served in World War I as a Buffalo soldier? Yeah. The Los Angeles County Department Fire Chief Anthony Maroney recognizes the black firefighters who paved the way. He reflects that the fire department should be as diverse as the community it serves. The fire service should represent all walks of life with members from diverse backgrounds, each sharing their own stories of what inspired them to be proud protectors of life and property. On our watch, we must ensure an equitable and welcoming workplace free of discrimination. And we must all continue to advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and stand up for one another, no matter what our differences.
The museum is counting on the younger generation to keep the stories and legacy of past black firefighters alive. President Banks says the history of the barriers of racism, segregation, and Jim Crow matters. Stories of struggle, triumph, and achievement help nurture our individual and collective American identity. For Cronkite News Los Angeles, I'm Ayanna Hamilton. If you've hiked Paestoa Peak at sunrise within the last three years, you've heard Ken Koshio. Every morning, the Japanese taiko drummer prays, chants, and plays music at the top of the mountain. I got up while it was still dark out to meet Koshio on the three-year anniversary of his daily hike. My name is Ken Koshio. I'm the... uh... Japanese taiko drummer and a singer-songwriter, and uh, also I call myself a peace activist. I've been in, in uh, Arizona since 2004. I was originally from Nagoya, Japan. At the top of Paestoa Peak, as the sun rises, Ken Koshio drums, chants, plays the flute, and prays. He does this every day, but this particular morning is special. Today is uh, the day first of the fourth year, so it means 1,096 days. He's been hiking the trail in the dark before sunrise and playing music at the top since March 2020. Kept on climbing every day for the sunrise, kind of a prayer. Every single morning when I receive the sunshine from the top of the, this Piesto Peak, I really feel I recharge, I refresh one of the best locations in the city of the Phoenix. This whole, you know, atmosphere and then air, everything at the top, it's so fresh. You used to climb 20 minutes, but <laughs> with carry drum, that's not easy to do that fast. With the drum, maybe 30, 40 minutes. I'm not really a hiker hiker, you know? Koshio insists he isn't a real hiker, but as someone told me at the bottom of the mountain, Paestoa Peak is no joke. The 1.2-mile hike is the third highest peak in Phoenix. I'm struggling before it even really gets steep. It's 5.22. I'm like (laughs) scrambling up the rocks and stuff. It's completely dark out, but I'm not using a flashlight, so my eyes adjust. And I can see pretty well. It takes me about twice as long as Koshio to finish the climb. He passes me when I bend down to tie my shoe, taking short breaths and moving quickly, drum hoisted over his head. I would not recommend this for those that are just wanting to come out for a afternoon hike. That's Reynaldo Martinez, another hiker. He confirms that Paestoa Peak is no joke. I mean, I live on the base of the mountain and I see the helicopters constantly rescuing people and especially during the summer, it's not safe. But Reynaldo's friend Joe Horrigan says the climb is worth it. The community that is developed up here really because of Ken is pretty incredible. There's a time that you know Ken's performing, and so, you know, I don't know how big the group is, 10 to 20 to many more just come occasionally to know to meet at the same time and see each other up there and support each other, and especially during COVID, and it's created some really long-lasting friendships. The pair met Koshio when their Thursday basketball game became a Thursday hike. 
we had been playing basketball with some of the guys, uh, the same guys for over 10 years. COVID shut that down. After about five months of not seeing everybody, uh, we decided that we need to do something. So we started hiking during the pandemic and we met Ken. And ever since then, we've been hiking with him, not every day, but weekly for the past, like, you know, two, three years. I thought that I was close, but I see a flash like way off in the distance. So I fear that I am not close. After what feels like forever, I finally reached the peak. Koshio's son, Miro, greets me. We met at the beginning of the hike, but he's in much better shape than I am, so he beat me to the top. You made it. Yeah. That's the top. He says I'm not really at the top until I touch a weird brown rock. I touched it, of course. Over the past three years, Koshio has become known for his hike. At the top of Paestua Peak, a group of people sit patiently as he unpacks his instruments. He calls them the Paestua family. They pass around tea and hot chocolate and catch up with each other. As it slowly starts to get light out, Koshio stands and addresses the crowd. Good morning, everybody. My name is Ken Koshio. I'm here. He talks about how it's the first day of his fourth year climbing the mountain. If you didn't know anything about me, Today is a really special day for me. And for but Koshio says it's also the 20th anniversary of Lori Paestua's death. The Hopi woman was the first Native American woman in the United States military to die in combat. In Iraq, 2003. Paestua Peak is named in her honor. Her name is Lori Paestua. Really, thank you very much for being inspiring me and hopefully you can inspire each other forever. The energy on the mountaintop is electric as Koshio drums. He gets the crowd to join in the chanting. Koshio walks around to each person, ringing small bells over their head as Mira plays the flute. Japanese also ceremonial bell. It's called the orin for the like a prayers. But this one designed for more like a meditation bell. Friend of mine, mine making in Kyoto, Japan. It's beautiful. It makes you to be calm. As the sun gets higher in the sky, Koshio joins in. Hikers stick around at the peak after Koshio finishes playing. He knows a lot of the people there. Have a good one. See you guys later. The energy what I received from the sun, or even the breathing air, birdies singing, everything gives me a lot of beautiful, blessing energy. It's been 1,096 days of hiking, playing music, and praying, and Koshio won't be stopping anytime soon. For Cronkite News in Phoenix, I'm Amber Victoria Singer. This week's edition of CN to Go was hosted and produced by me, Amber Victoria Singer. I had help from Kenny Rasmussen, Roxanne De La Rosa, and Ayana Hamilton. You can learn more about the stories you heard in today's episode by going to cronkitenews.azpbs.org. Once again, I'm Amber Victoria Singer, and that's all for CN to Go.